Hello, Shirley fans. For the last three years, Jason and I have been bringing you the stories behind all of your favorite movies from the 80s, but today we begin a new series. In 2016, the Duffer Brothers introduced the world to Stranger Things. This show not only changed the way we all watch television, but surprisingly also truly impacted the music we listen to. From Africa to Running Up That Hill, Stranger Things has brought back songs of our past and introduced them to a whole new generation. So, the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast begins a new series bringing you the stories behind the songs of Stranger Things. Hey everybody, <laughs> welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Today we are diving into season one, episode two of Stranger Things. Yes, and like we said before, we're only covering the songs. I don't think we'll do another recap wrap today. I, I'm, I think Dr. Fresh is on tour right now. But just as a quick reminder, this is the episode where Mike hides Eleven in his house while the parents are at work. Nancy is trying to get busy with Steve. Uh, Barb gets involved and it doesn't go well for her by the end. This episode to me is basically 45 minutes of people running around going, Well! <laughs> right. Well, there's a little bit more going on, but we will touch on all of those plot points as we go through the songs of Stranger Things. Sounds good. Let's do it. So, an interesting bit of trivia on this particular episode is that one day while they were filming this episode, Millie Bobby Brown, the girl who plays Eleven, yeah. showed up covered head to toe in glitter. Okay. And they had to stop production to clean her up. I don't have the explaining story behind it. <laughs> okay. But Caleb today told me a joke. Okay. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So this guy dipped his balls in glitter. <laughs> Pretty nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Right. That's good. That's now, good. Now, listener, if you want pretty nuts, you don't have to dip your balls in glitter. <laughs> you can go visit the webpage of our sponsor today, manscaped.com. Hey guys, listen. Your wife wants you to buy stuff like this. Your girlfriend wants you. They want you to look neat and trim for them, and it's better for you. If you are interested in having them smell good as well as look good, they also have lotions and other wipes and products that eliminate that unpleasant smell that comes with swass. <laughs> <laughs> Go check out manscaped.com and use the code SERIOUS20 to get 20% off. Yeah, if you use the promo code SERIOUS20, you will receive 20% off of your order. So be sure and go check out our wonderful sponsor who helps bring you this episode today. And it helps us with them if you go and order some stuff. So go do that. That's right. Whack it. Okay, so to start off, this episode is called The Weirdo on Maple Street. Okay. This is kind of the E.T. episode. Do you notice the connection here? Like, I mean, the whole series is E.T.-esque, sure. but you've got E.T. and Elliot making a connection in the movie, but you've also got Mike and Eleven making a connection in this okay. episode. He fakes being sick, just like Elliot did. She explores the house, just like E.T. did. He shows her his toys, including his Star Wars figures yeah. and Yoda. I mean, it's all very... This is probably the most E.T. of all of the episodes. And then, of course, she She's also mesmerized by the TV, and you've got this weird scene where she walks by suddenly as the family's having dinner, all super E.T.-esque. That's true. But let's talk about the name real quick. Okay. The Weirdo on Maple Street could be a couple of different things, all right? Okay. So there's a Twilight Zone episode called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Yeah. Which has a lot of fear and anxiety going on, much like this episode does. I'm thinking maybe this might be a Stephen King The House on Maple Street reference. It could be any number of these. These things. Okay. But there's a lot of 
throwbacks on Maple Street. Not on Elm Street, on Maple Street. I know, I was, I was really hoping it would be Elm Street. But. Yeah, no. But enough about that, let's jump into the songs. Now, the first song that we have to talk about is on for about three-fourths of a second. It comes in at 1633. Jonathan is driving in his car, and we see he's heading out of Hawkins. It what literally have... is playing in such a short amount of time, you may not recognize it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a song called Go Nowhere by Reagan Youth. Now, as short as that part is in this episode, I got all kinds of stuff to talk about on this. When you called me up the other day and said, have you heard this story? My mind literally popped out of my head and fell on the floor. <laughs> okay, so as we said, this song is by a group called Reagan Youth. They were a punk group in the 80s. They formed when Reagan took office, basically. And the components, the founders of the group, if you will, are a couple of guys named Dave Rubenstein and Paul Bakija, but they went by the names Dave Insurgent and Paul Cripple uh-huh. because that's what punk guys do, right? Sure. We so talked about that in our Simple Minds episode on our Patreon. If you haven't heard that, you had uh, funky names in the band before they became Simple Minds. Right. Sid Syphilis. Sid Syphilis. <laughs> our favorite one. So back to Reagan Youth. You've got Dave Insurgent. You've got Paul Cripple. The name of the band, these guys were some like anarchist leftist guys. And so it's this idea of Reagan as Hitler and the Hitler youth, right? And so that was their deal. Now, they would do satirical like skinhead songs, except that the skinheads didn't get the joke. And they would show up to the shows. And Dave Insurgent, Dave Rubenstein, would call these guys out as they're singing the song and just like, this is for you, you stupid his parents they were survivors of the holocaust yes he was rubenstein shockingly jewish they were holocaust survivors who immigrated over to the u.s and he is a first generation american so as it turned out the group did okay but they never really hit it big they toured with a lot of big names but by the end of the reagan era the band split up Right. Bush youth really just doesn't ring <laughs> It's got an as... entirely different connotation. <laughs> entirely different and way more inappropriate, all right? <laughs> so these guys split up, and Dave Insurgent by this time had started doing heroin. And when the band splits up, he becomes a heroin addict. Right. He also starts selling it. And I say that with a caveat. He really ends up using the product that he should be <laughs> right. selling. That's right? exactly right. Yes. He starts dating a quote unquote stripper who actually turns tricks to bring drug money in for the both of them. Her name is Tiffany Bresciani. She does magic tricks. She does magic tricks <laughs> where she goes to a car, makes somebody happy, and then comes back. Oh, turning tricks. Yes. She's a prostitute. She is what we call a streetwalker. She yes. is a lady of the night. Yes. They're yes. both significant heroin addicts, yes. right? Yes. And so, as I mentioned before, Dave has a bad habit of using what he should be selling. And so one of his dealers becomes pretty upset when he comes to him wanting more drugs with no money for the product he got before. Are you telling me that a heroin addict is a bad businessman? In this particular situation, yes. Okay. 
But instead of realizing the errors of his ways, Dave Rubenstein's drug dealer decides to teach him a lesson. Yeah. You know the story on this? Well, here's what I know. The drug dealer got upset and decided to make a point with a baseball bat and beat him very severely. So much, in fact, that he had to go to the hospital and get a lobotomy. I had to call my dad about this because I'm like, when does a lobotomy help you? Like, how is that going to save your life? Right. And basically the idea is your brain is swelling, which if it's swelling against your skull, it can kill you. Uh And so he said probably his frontal lobe was so badly damaged that they just said, it's not going to be of any use anyway. Let's cut it out. And that relieves the swelling. So the lobotomy literally saves his life. Once again, this is the lead singer of Reagan Youth. Yeah. By the way, when he showed up at the hospital, his eyelid was drooping so much it was touching his upper lip. Oh my gosh. So you've got this guy walking the street with this. And I've seen her pictures. Pretty young girl. Pretty young girl. 22. He has a scar from one ear to the other from this lobotomy and probably is not operating on all cylinders anymore, considering that some of his frontal lobe is missing. That's true. But what happens is a car comes up. This blue Toyota car drives up and stops to talk to them. Now inside of the blue Toyota is this guy named Joel Rifkin. Mm -hmm. And he's interested in more than just seeing her with her clothes off. And so she says to Dave, hey, give me 20 minutes. I'll be right back and then we can go get our stuff, right? Uh And so she gets in the car with this guy. They leave. 20 minutes goes by and she's not back. Right. And then 30 and then an hour and then multiple hours. And Dave is freaked out and he goes to the cops. And surprisingly, the cops are not super concerned about a missing prostitute. This, by the way, is June 24th, 1993. And so four days later, a cop sees a Mazda truck with its license plate missing. Okay, so that's. A small violation, right? Yeah. Let's pull him over and see what he's doing. Yeah. So turns on his lights to pull him over, but he doesn't stop. He continues to go, this person in the Mazda truck. It's a slow chase for a while, but the cop won't leave him alone. Right. And so, because they don't do that. They don't just give up, usually, especially on slow chases. So it turns into a fast chase. (laughs) Turns into a fast chase. He ends up going almost 100 miles an hour at one point. And then this truck wrecks into a stoplight. And the cop comes running up to the car and is overwhelmed by a stench. And when he gets to the driver of the car, he sees that the driver has Vicks Vapor Rub smeared underneath his nostrils. Uh-huh. And when he shines his light in the back of the car, he sees what he believes to be a dead animal wrapped up in a rug. As it turns out, it's the body of Tiffany Bresciani wrapped in a blue tarp. Joel Rifkin, the guy who's driving the truck, the guy who picked her up, the stripper club patron. Yes. Turns out this is not his first kill. Uh Uh-huh. His intention was to take her and dispose of her body. And when he started getting chased, he just thought, I'm going to try to run this into the water and then swim away. And hopefully that'll do it. But once he ultimately wrecked the car, the cop said he just had his hands up, not threatening, got in the police car and said, can you turn the air conditioning on? Because I don't think there's going to be a lot of air conditioning where I'm going. And the cop's like, "Okay, this sounds weird. And within a few hours of interrogation, they discover that Joel Rifkin is the most prolific serial killer in the state of New York. 17 victims. Wow. So naturally, I had to go down the rabbit hole with Joel Rifkin, right? Right. I watched the A&E biography on this guy. He is one of the few examples of a serial killer 
who did not have a significantly disturbed upbringing. Okay. He had a very normal life as a child. He was adopted, but he was adopted when he was like two weeks old. And his adoptive parents were loving and really de- middle class family, not bad at all. The problems that he had growing up is that he was slow and heavy. And his dad, who was a big sports guy, was disappointed and would get frustrated because he wanted his kid to be good at sports. And then the kids at the school would mercilessly bully him. Okay. Call them turtle, call them lard ass, you know. Right. So over the course of six years, he ends up murdering a total of 17 women. And Tiffany Bresciani is the last of those. That's incredible. So you're talking about Dave Rubenstein having a bad few weeks here, right? Yeah. He gets beat up with a baseball bat. Yep. So severely that they have to lobotomize him in order to save his life. Yes. He's hooked on heroin. Yeah. His girlfriend gets abducted and murdered. That's June 24th, 1993. Oh, by the way, on June 30th, 1993, his dad accidentally runs over his mother with the car and kills her. Oh my gosh. Guess what? Dave Rubenstein committed suicide that very week, July 3rd. Dude, that is a crazy story. That story is That is, is a David nuts. Fincher plot right there. Yes. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, Shirley fans, that's what you get for a 0.75 second clip of a song. <laughs> okay. Then Jonathan is listening to the radio as he's driving in his car. He hears the end of Go Nowhere. Interesting title, by the way, to throw in with Will being in the Upside Down. That's nice right. Nice relationship uh-huh. there. And then it goes into another kind of punky song. Punky song that a whole lot more folks no goes into the song should i stay or should i go but we're not going to talk to you about that today let's hold off on that one guys this is a great song and we are excited to talk about it and excited to talk about the clash and it is used multiple times throughout this episode really all season yeah all season for sure but it's a big hitter and one of just a couple of songs in episode seven so be sure and hit the subscribe button hit the follow button so that you will get notified whenever we release episode seven and we talk about should i stay or should i go in detail. Okay, D, so the next song in episode two of Stranger Things is a little song you may have heard of called Deck the Halls by Chicks with Hits. Okay, in the credits, this song is said to have been sung by Chicks with Hits. Okay. For the life of me, I cannot find that version out there. I don't know where it is, but that's what they say. I can tell you that Chicks with Hits is a group composed of Terry Clark, Pam Tillis, and Susie Bogus. They toured together under that name, Chicks with Hits, because they had 36 top 10 singles between them. So that's a good title for them. But I can't find this version. Seems like the only time that you're going to hear it, ladies and gentlemen, is at 18 minutes and 30 seconds into this episode when Joyce is driving to her workplace and she just gets in and walks in the door. That's the song that's playing over the PA. (laughs) Okay, well, I've I've got some stuff for you on Deck the Halls, okay? Inform me, my friend. Okay, so we know Deck the Halls as this traditional Christmas carol, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the melody is Welsh, dating back all the way to the 1500s. It's first found in a musical transcript by 
Welsh harpist John Perry. The John Perry? The John <laughs> Perry, okay? Okay. The harpist? Yes, the harpist! <laughs> exactly. So this is like in the 1700s. It's like 1794. And then poet John Searog Hughes wrote some song lyrics. Now get this. This is the 1794 lyrics. You ready for this? Yes. This is the English version, okay? Oh, how soft my fair one's bosom. <laughs> Fa la 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 la. Oh, how sweet the grove in blossom. Hello. Fa la 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 la. Oh, how blessed are the blisses, words of love and mutual kisses. Okay? <laughs> right? All right. So, now then, <laughs> you like that? It's great. Okay. Tipper Gore would not be a fan of this song. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know exactly, right? Later on down the road, in 1778, Mozart actually uses this tune in the 18th Violin Sonata. Okay. So Mozart takes it, and it becomes very popular. Bro, you're blowing my mind here. Okay. Deck the halls. Deck the halls. So, also, later on, in 1794, it's published as Nos Galan, which is a Welsh term. Okay? okay. Now then, listen to these lyrics, okay? okay? Yeah. Deck the hall with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. Fill the mead cup, drain the barrel. Fa la 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 la. Trowel the ancient Yuletide carol. Fa la 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 la. So it's a drinking song. Right. Right? Okay, I love it. Yeah. Fill the mead cup, drain the barrel. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now then, in 1877, they drop all the drinking references, okay. and it becomes a Christmas song. 1877. 1877. Okay. So they scrub it of the drinking lyrics, and then finally in then 1892, it becomes plural, Deck the Halls. That's when they add Yuletide Carol, and you have Deck the Halls that we sing fa ra 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 every Christmas. No, 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 no. <laughs> fa la 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 la. There you go. How about that? It's smiling at me. <laughs> Okay, dude, you have you have given me a history of a magical Christmas song that I did not know the history of. And as it turns out, just a few seconds later, when Joyce has got her phone. By the way, also, 83 is about the time that they had the trust bust with AT&T and that you could actually go to a store and buy your phone instead of having it given to you by the phone company. Oh, wow. And so she's trying to buy it, and she's asking for an advance. Uh-huh. My son is missing. <laughs> that guy's such a tool. He is a tool. But what's playing is at that transition, uh, we hear Jingle Bells, and that's at 1853 in the episode. Now, the Jingle Bells, we can play it for you here. Jingle Bells, Jingle This version is being sung by the Canterbury Choir. Now, Jason. Yes. I am not going to give you a history of Jingle Bells, but I can tell you something about Canterbury. Ready? Okay. Ready. Canterbury has the oldest currently operating school in the world. It's called the King's School. Okay. And it's where Orlando Bloom was born. Okay. Also Christopher Marlowe, but I thought Orlando Bloom was it. And that is all I have about Canterbury. Now, I know that they have a choir, and I know that that choir sang Jingle Bells, and I know that the Duffer Brothers used that music in this episode. You got more for me? I've got some stuff on Jingle Bells for you. You ready for this? Tell me. All right. So the song Jingle Bells was not originally called Jingle Bells. Really? It was first published in 1857 under the title The One Horse Open Sleigh. 
Okay. Written by this guy named James Lord Pierpont. Now, his nephew's name is John Pierpont Morgan. Ever heard of this guy? John Pierpont Morgan. No. J.P. Morgan. As in the bank guy. As in the bank guy. That's my bank. There you go. Wow. So, got a little famous connection there. Yeah. Jingle Bells is literally one of the most famous and most commonly sung songs in the history of the world. It was written in 1857 as a Thanksgiving song. This guy named James Lord Pierpont is in the Songwriting Hall of Fame. Jingle Bells is also the first song sung from outer space. Nice. In 1965, two astronauts on Gemini 6 smuggled sleigh bells and a harmonica. And while they were talking to Houston, ching, 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 jingle bells from space. cool right that is awesome they also sort of played a prank on houston and said we see an unidentified flying object low trajectory coming out of the north pole this happened on christmas yeah yeah this is like december 16th of 1965 this is brilliant that is brilliant so there you have it the story of jingle bells fantastic man how about that i love it okay well i'm I'm excited to see what you have to say about our next song okay (laughs) the next song comes in at 27 minutes and 19 seconds as jonathan is arriving at his father lonnie's house it's again he's still listening to the radio and there you, you catch a little bit of clip of a song and the name of that song is dark stars by mark glass okay so tell me what you know brace yourself yes I can't find Jack Squat on this on the internet. (laughs) I researched my brains out trying to find (laughs) who Mark Glass is and what Dark Stars is, and I can't find it. Literally nothing that I can find is that little tiny one and a half second clip that he's, as he's turning off the radio, to come into the house. Yeah, I couldn't find anything. Well, the good news is that we transition almost immediately from that song at 27 minutes and 19 seconds into the next song that we're going to talk about at 27 minutes and 50 seconds. And that song is called I'm Taking Off by Space Knife. Okay, I watched the video on this, and it was awesome. It was like I was transported back to 1983. Yeah. He looks like he's performing this on the Star Trek Next Generation holodeck. The 80s are blaring all over the place. It's not as though he's like got actual 80s. It's just in the style of. You've got the window blinds opening up to see the pretty girl in all of her 80s makeup and hairstyle. And it is synth gold. It is. It is synth gold. It is. Okay, now what we need to know is that just like on our last episode where we had a song that sounded just like a Madonna song, sounded just like a Kylie Minogue song out of the 80s, this song didn't happen until the 21st century. Uh, It's crazy. And I can tell you that it was on YouTube as early as June of 2013. That's three years before the release of Stranger Things. Wow. So somebody in the world loved this guy. He's not on a record label. I'll tell you, if you'd like to go check out the rest of his music, you can find it at spaceknife.bandcamp.com, which is bandcamp.com is where a lot of unsigned artists go to release their music. 
And I've learned, I've listened to his stuff. It's, it's good. good. It's, it's good, good stuff. He's got his first album on there is Early Singles. Okay. It came out in 2011. The next album is called The Greatest Hits Volume 1. His second <laughs> album is The Greatest Hits Love Volume that. 1. That came out in 2013. That is the one that has this song on it. It is a great homage to New Wave and 80s videos. Like, I literally listen to this, and it makes me want to go get on my BMX bike, ride to the arcade, and eat Reese's Pieces. Yeah, it really does. You know? This guy is out of Atlanta, Georgia. You should definitely go check him out. His other songs on that album, If a Girl Was Space, She'd Be You. And Alien Love. Okay. And as we mentioned, the name of this song is I'm Taking Off Shield Your Eyes. And there's this great moment in the YouTube video where like the girl is watching him and then like she's having to shield her eyes because he's literally taking off like a rocket. He, this He didn't go cheap on the babe either. She's, no, she's she's a good looking girl. The interesting thing is this YouTube video actually appears on the TV in the Stranger Things episode. Oh wow. As Jonathan is coming in to Lonnie's house, he's getting confronted by Lonnie's girlfriend, and you can hear it through the doorway, and then when he kind of bursts through the door, he walks by a TV, and you see that 80s-esque video playing on an old 80s-style TV. How about that? It's gold, man. I love it. Hey, this is a great song. I'm a fan. Me too. I checked on his YouTube. He only has like 600 subscribers. Yeah, his... his Bandcamp and his Facebook are just a few hundred folks, but I would encourage all of our listeners, go check this guy out, go follow his page. It's got some good 80s style stuff. I, I liked it. I dug it. Now, jumping ahead to our next song, just like the last song, <laughs> this is a song that sounds really 80s, and it sounds really specifically 80s. This is a flat-out copy of another 80s song. The name of this song is Body Language. This song is composed and performed by Alexander Baker, also known as Ace. Okay. And Claire Mario. Okay. This comes in the episode at 33 minutes and 7 seconds when Nancy is talking to Barb on the phone. So once again, Nancy's in a room and we've got music that sounds like it's from the 80s, but this is another 21st century song. And this song doesn't just sound kind of like a Madonna song. This song sounds almost exactly like a Depeche Mode song. Yeah. The song is Enjoy the Silence. Listen here. Obviously, I mean, very, very close, right? The same, I mean, yeah. the guy's got the same sounding voice. The instruments that are being used are identical. The melody is just a rearrangement of the same notes. I mean, it is so much Depeche Mode, it's crazy, right? And that's what they want. They want you to think that Nancy is listening to some Depeche Mode in her room. But it's really Body Language by Alexander Ace Baker and 
Flare Mario. Now, as we've talked about, this episode came out in 2016. I sent you a video from a show that was called X-Play, and it is a video game talk show. Okay. They would talk about whatever the latest releases are. Okay. Some of our listeners may be familiar with this X-Play thing, but they got a lot of requests to go do a review on some retro games. And so they called this episode The Breakfast Game Club, right? Okay. And there's a great scene at the end where the two hosts are playing the parts of the members of The Breakfast Club. And if you listen, you can hear this song. Yeah. Well, this episode was released in March of 2006. So this song had been around for 10 years before they used it in Stranger Things. So nobody went to a band and said, hey, we need a song for this show that we're doing that sounds like a Depeche Mode song. They found it. <laughs> right. And there are a lot of people, if you look at the comments on the YouTube video of this song, there are a lot of people who are like, I didn't know that they've used this on Stranger Things. I've been looking for this thing for 10 years trying to find it. I would watch the end of that show over and over because I loved this song. Yeah, it's great, man. I just want to go, guys, go listen to Depeche Mode. <laughs> hey, you know what? Yeah. When you need Depeche Mode, yeah. and you need a song that sounds exactly like Depeche Mode, but you need it on the cheap, yeah. I guess you call Alexander Baker. I guess. <laughs> Ace. Ace. Yeah, he, he's done some other music for some other shows as well, and he didn't get any credit on the video game talk show, this X-Play. I could not find the credit on there. By the way, the that episode that you showed me yeah. was really funny because it was like the reveal at the end of The Breakfast Club where Allie comes around the corner and Andrew is like blown away by what he sees. Yeah. But it's rocketed up like <laughs> yeah. like Wayne's World. like Yeah, yeah. And she's a babe in that one yes. for sure. Yes. So that show was called X-Play, hosted by Adam Sessler and Morgan Webb. It's still around. Um, so I encourage you guys to go check at least that episode out. It came out, as I said, in 2006, season six, episode 25. Last minute and a half of the episode. That's cool. Hey, by the way, I've just got something I want to throw in real quick. Quick right. shout out to a friend of mine yeah, uh, and longtime listener. I was in Chick-fil-A this morning. Okay. Waiting on my breakfast. I was standing in the lobby. Okay. And the Chick-fil-A manager came up to me and said, are you Jason Colvin? I'm like, yes. She's like, the celebrity Jason Colvin? <laughs> I'm like, no. no. <laughs> and apparently my buddy Blaine Peterson was going through the drive-thru and put the manager up to that. Uh, that's hilarious. She's like, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Blaine. You made my day. I was really confused. So that was great. That was great. I almost went to Chick Fil A this morning too. I would have seen you there. Maybe would you'd been a double sighting. It'd have been great for her. <laughs> that would have been really cool. Okay, are we ready to move to the next song? I'm ready to move on to the. Are next Are you excited song. about yeah, this? Yeah, I am actually. Okay, so next song on our list is "Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree." How can you say those words and not just sing them? They just roll right off the tongue. It's great. Before we go into this, the story behind the song, I tell everybody, this comes in at 37 minutes and 17 seconds when Nancy and Barb are sitting in Barb's car outside of Steve Harrington's house deciding, you know, to go in and what to do. And uh, at the end of the conversation, Barb says, is that a new bra? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, the song is being sung by Brotherhood of Man. 
Yes. But they are not the group that made it famous. That's right. Brotherhood of Man formed in 1969, and it was just a creation of an umbrella title for a changing lineup of session singers. Okay. But by 1970, that idea had kind of worn out. They had a big hit called United We Stand, which was the closing theme for the Brady Bunch Hour. Okay. Yeah. Their biggest success is in the UK. They had three number one hits and four top 20 albums. None of them were tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, though. The Tony Orlando version is literally the biggest song of 1973. It is the biggest song. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it hit number one in the U.S., in the U.K., for four weeks starting in April of 1973. Now, four weeks starting in April of 1973. I feel like that's an important event. It's like November 5th, 1955. (laughs) That's exactly right. This May 4th, 1973. What, What happened? This was the number one song in the United States the day I was born, 1973. Fantastic. This song right here. You were born on May the 4th. I was born May the 4th. You have a Star Wars birthday. I do have a Star Wars birthday. Which is fantastic because I love Star Wars. This song has been played three million times. It's one of the biggest songs of all time. It it reached the top 10 in 10 countries. It's interesting because this song, I thought this song was like an old, old song, Uh right? And it's got an old story behind it. Like the idea behind the song is a guy has been in prison and the, the work bus will drive by his old love's house, right? And so he's wanting to know, once he's released, is he welcome to come back and see her or not? And if he is then she needs to tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, right? right. And, and, you know, happy ending to the song. There's like a ton of yellow ribbons around the old oak tree. It pulls at your heartstrings. I know. It's a great it, story. It is kind of sweet. And yet it was turned down by multiple record executives saying this song is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, now listen to this. I've got this. This is going to blow you away. You okay, yeah. this? okay. Yeah. So Tony Orlando and Dawn, they sang this song in 1973. Tony Orlando built the Yellow Ribbon Music Theater in Branson, Missouri in 1993. Branson, Missouri. Yeah, that's where you and I like to go. I know, yeah. It's kind of a fun place. But here's the kicker. You ready for this? Yeah. In 1976, during the Republican National Convention, uh-huh. Tony Orlando danced to this song with Betty Ford. Wow. Yes. Wow. And according to him, this was Nancy Reagan's favorite song at the time. This song has been covered by Bing Crosby, Jim Neighbors. Yeah who is Gomer Pyle, in case you didn't recognize that. Shazam! (laughs) Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Lawrence Welk, Dolly Parton, Harry Connick Jr., and Andy Kaufman. Did you say Andy Kaufman? Andy Kaufman (laughs) covered this. Andy Kaufman. Yes. All right, Man in the Moon. All right. Yes. Okay, so we have a wonderful progression of this very almost I wouldn't I'd have to say goody goody kind of song right into another song yeah. as Barb and Nancy come up to Steve Harrington's house. It's such a great scene. He busts the doors open. 38 minutes, 34 seconds, and booming from out of the house is a song called Raise a Little Hell.
how this got by me. Like, I don't know this song. So this song is by a group called Trooper, and they are a British Columbia Canadian band. It was hard for Canadian bands to get hits in the U.S., honestly, at this time. And this one came out in the 70s, and so it's 78, I think. So five years later, Steve could be listening to this song. But let me tell you a little bit about Trooper first. Okay. Okay, so Trooper was started by Ray McGuire and Brian Smith, a.k.a. Smitty, who were from Vancouver. Quick shout out to our good friends, Addy Iacchino and Cameron Eckert, our Canadian Patreon members who are probably huge fans of Trooper. I don't know. Yeah. There you go. Yep. You guys will have to tell us all your stories of seeing Trooper in concert. (laughs) So these guys started out as a band called Winter's Green in 1967. They had a song called Are You My Monkey? (laughs) (laughs) Big hit. Big hit. Love it. In Canada, it was a very The Door sounding song. Okay. Uh, Winter Green became Applejack. They started touring in British Columbia. And they were playing at that time, playing this song, Raise a Little Hell. So while they're touring, they get heard by this guy named Randy Bachman. Have you heard of him? Only because you pointed it out to me. Yeah. He was Bachman Turner Overdrive, Uh that Bachman, right? He was before that. He was in the Guess Who. And if you don't recognize the name of that band, let me play you a little guitar lick that he did that will ring the bell. American Woman. Yes. Absolutely. So Ray Bachman sees Trooper and he says, you know what, guys? I want to sign you to my label. He's got his own little label and it's called Legend. And so he became their producer for their next five albums. First album was Trooper, which came out in 75. Second album was Two for the Show, which came out in 66. And by this time, they had gone with MCA. Their third album was called Knock'em Dead Kid. And this reached what they call Canadian Platinum. And when I saw that, I had to go, well, what is Canadian Platinum? Right. Well, do you know what U.S. Platinum is? Million? Million is correct. 500,000 is gold in the U.S. Okay. In Canada, 50,000 is gold <laughs> and 100,000 is platinum. So okay. they, they've got a Canadian platinum hit with their third album. Fourth album is comes out in 1978. Thick as Thieves goes double platinum, has the only successful single in the U.S. And do you know what that single is? Raise a Little Hell. You got it. Rolling Stone ranked this as number seven on the top ten sports anthems of all time. It's fantastic. It's great. I mean, if you listen to the harmonies on this, the dynamics of this song, this is a fantastic freaking song, and it is the perfect song to play when Steve Harrington opens those doors. Right. And I told you, when I first watched this season, I was watching with my kids. Of course, they had seen season two, three, four when I watched season one. So Steve Harrington, to me, was jerk boyfriend. I hated his guts. Yeah. Well, everybody did that first season. That first season, he was jerk boyfriend. By the way, in a case of terrible timing, Trooper released an album in 1991 called Ten. Oh, (laughs) maybe good timing. Who knows? Well, that's true. How many people looking for Pearl Jam (laughs) ended up with a Trooper, a Trooper that had been playing together for 30 years, 
ended up with that album. Can I please have a 10 CD, please? <laughs> Grandma, I don't know what you got me. <laughs> this is not even flow, okay? You need to take this back. <laughs> so these guys, they stayed together. I mean, yeah, like you said, they were recording still in the 90s. Yep. And actually, less than a year ago, Ray and Smitty both called it retirement. By the way, for our Ottawa Senators fans, from the years 1992 to 1996, every time they scored a goal, Raise a Little Hell was played. It's great. It's great. I love it. Okay. All right. Moving on, we are finally, once again, I mean, so many songs that we've gone through. Their musical budget obviously wasn't super huge. But they managed to get a piece of gold or two in each of the episodes. They sure did. They sure did. So the song that we get next is one that you will all know. Ladies and gentlemen, I Melt With You. Okay, so this song is by a band called Modern English. Okay. It comes in in the episode at 42 minutes and 59 seconds. This is just as Jonathan is taking pictures. He hears a scream. He runs over to the pool, and it turns out it's because they're horsing around. Right. Steve, Nancy, and poor Barb is sitting there like a lump. Poor Barb. Yeah. But they're listening to I Melt With You by a band called Modern English. Totally appropriate for the setting of the show, 1983. Yeah. So this song came out and did pretty well because it was associated with a big movie of the time, a movie called Valley Girl. Valley Girl has Nick Cage, Deborah Foreman, E.G. Daly, i.e. Dottie from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Joyce Heiser, and Colleen Camp. I mean, it's a 80s iconic movie. That's how I know it, is from that movie. One of Nick Cage's first big roles. It reached number 78 on the Hot 100. Right. That's where it peaks out at. Yeah. And then they re-release it in 1990. It gets to number 76. It did reach number 7 on Billboard's mainstream rock charts in 1983. Right. But as far as the Hot 100, this is like a slow burn. Like, it has been played a bazillion times since then. Yeah. And has become 80s iconic gold. Yeah. But at the time, for whatever reason, didn't climb the charts very high. Right. And so this was a success for them. This was an entirely different style than they were used to. So Modern English started as a group of high school friends, Robbie Gray and his buddies. Yep. And they just, they had one buddy who could kind of play the guitar and they said, let's form a band. Yeah, good idea. Let's do it. I mean, punk is the new thing right now. So why don't we do that? This song, of course, is not at all punk. This is very new age, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when they, I mean, ultimately they learned to play some instruments. They did gigs. They ultimately got a recording studio and recorded this song. But as he was singing this song, this is part of an album. As he was singing this song, the producer said, how about instead of screaming this, you just sing it. Right. Well, even less than that, you talk it. Yeah. And so this kind of soft talky song Mm -hmm. it changed the rest of the album they went from a kind of a punk yell into a much more smooth new wave pleasant to listen to right and like you said this song has stood the test of time it wasn't like 
it was definitely a big hit for some guys who didn't have anything else going on. Right. But it was something that kind of, like you said, people realized how good it was as time went on. And I still hear it today. Hear it all the time. Absolutely. All the time. All the time. I heard it this morning, as a matter of fact. There you go. So Robbie Gray said he wrote this song in two minutes. Wow. In two minutes. Wow. It was just kind of a stream of consciousness. He just kind of wrote down some stuff. And if you listen to the lyrics, I thought this is really cool. Yeah. It's about a couple making love when the nuclear blast goes off. Right. And they melt. Together. Like physically melt together. It's gross. But it's catchy. It is catchy. <laughs> he said he didn't want to write a song where it's boy meets girl, they fall in love, and they get married and happily ever after. Right. They're having sex, the bomb goes off, and they melt. How about that? Now, I did think it was interesting. (laughs) They made this video for MTV. He said they made it for like a thousand pounds Canadian, which is nothing, but MTV played it all the time. It's great. It's a great song. It was, it was very, it seemed like it had more popularity on MTV than it did, than it was getting radio play for sure. We've seen this before where a radio station in America picked it up, started playing it, and it just sort of caught. Dance clubs and MTV. Yes. When they were recording it, the producer went to Robbie Gray. Now keep in mind, Robbie Gray is a punk guy. And he's like, this part right here, I think you should hum. And Robbie Gray's like, I'm a punk guy. I don't hum. He's like, well, you're going to hum on this one. And you're humming right here. And this part right here, he hums and it's beautiful. It is great. I it's love 80s it. gold. Yep. I'll stop the world and melt with you. Ranked number seven by VH1 as the 100 greatest one hit wonders. It's one of the biggest one hit wonders of the 80s. Here's a list of movies that this song is featured in 51st Dates, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Not Another Teen Movie, Sky High, It Was On Glee. Burger King used it, M&M's used it, Taco Bell used it. There was a movie made called I Melt With You that had Rob Lowe in it. Wow. They re-recorded it for that movie. (laughs) That's crazy. And it never got past 76 in the Hot 100. It's crazy. It is crazy. Okay, so our song that we mentioned before, Should I Stay or Should I Go, comes up again at this point in the episode. It becomes a big plot point Mm -hmm. at this point in the episode. We had heard Jonathan listening to it in the car. We had then transitioned to where he was talking to Will as they were talking about their dad and how difficult that was. And he was talking to him about how good this music was. And so it's a real major plot point. And then after I Melt With You, we see Joyce get a phone call like she got before. And then she gets led down the hallway and we hear it start to blare from his room. It's as though he's trying to communicate, which is why this song is so important. So be sure... Hit subscribe, hit follow, and we'll talk to you about it in episode seven. That brings us to the final song of the episode, and they have saved the best for last. The way this song is used is so perfect. It's like a sadness that's masked by rock and roll. That song is called Hazy Shade of Winter. I'm 
bangling my head here. <laughs> I am bangling my head. That opening ching, 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 and that sort of minor tone right there. Yeah. So this version of this song came out 35 years ago, November 1987. Yep. The Bangles had been performing this song since March of 83. Look around. Like this was a song they did live on stage, right? And they got hit up to do the, a song for this movie called Less Than Zero. Had James Spader and Robert Downey Jr. as an almost prophetic drug addict. Yes. Like literally right before Robert Downey Jr. got arrested for drugs. I mean, it's, it, it is a crazy movie. I can't Not, let you go without mentioning Andrew McCarthy and Jamie Gertz. Yes, right. As it turns out, this is not originally a bangle song. Right. Now, I was very familiar with Simon and Garfunkel when this song came out, but it was like their greatest hits familiar, right? I don't think that I knew until I heard this song that it had been originally done by Simon and Garfunkel. Paul Simon wrote this song in 65 when he was in England and he felt like he was kind of in this repetition of seasons and it just things weren't going anywhere, which is where you get that line of, that repeated line of, look around, leaves are browned, and the sky is a hazy shade of winter. Yeah. Like it's not a happy memory for him, sure, right? Sure, sure. And... So And so he and Garfunkel had recorded this song when they were recording Parsley Sage, Rosemary, and Time, which is a fantastic album and also a great recipe for a roux, if you're interested in that. <laughs> okay. What they did was the next year they decided they were going to release it as a standalone single. The song did so well that they decided to put it on their next album, which was called Bookends. Okay. Another great album. Yep. So as I mentioned, the Bangles, as a new group, 17 right. years later, start performing this live on stage. Then they get this offer to do a song for the Less Than Zero soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you, when I say Bangles, what's the first song you think of? Walk Like an Egyptian. And that's probably the song that broke up the band. Okay. So they had a producer named David Kahn for that album. And their experience in doing that with him was miserable. Right. And that put them in a bad enough spot that eventually they fell apart. But he was not the one that produced A Hazy Shade of Winter. You're nodding your head because I know you know the answer. And Def Dave, I hope you're listening. Let's go. The producer on this album was DJ Double R, Mr. Rick Rubin himself. How about that? Yeah. It's fantastic. Rick so, Rubin, go back and listen to our Beastie Boys episode where Rick Rubin was uh, vital to their success. And Run DMC. And Run DMC. That's yeah. right. And so he actually let them do a lot of the production on this one. And, and Michael Steele, the bassist, will tell you that song sounds the most like they sound as a band. And she said, I, if we hadn't have been in such bad shape and had such a bad experience with David Kahn, that song might have saved us, but it wasn't enough to save us. That's fantastic. Okay, so here's what I got for you. You ready for this? Yeah. Okay, we're not going to dive too far into the bangles, but here's the top 10 for February 6th, 1988, when this song hits number two. Okay. And I'm going to touch on these because a lot of these we've talked about. Okay. Number 10, I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man, Prince. Sure. Off the Sign of the Times episode, go back and check that episode out. Number nine, Tunnel of Love by Bruce Springsteen. Number eight, Say You Will by Foreigner. Number seven, What Have I Done to Deserve This by the Pet Shop Boys. We actually talked about that in our Patreon episode. Okay. Number six, Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen off the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. 
Right. Number five, I Want to Be Your Man by Roger. Don't worry about that one. Okay. <laughs> Number four, Seasons Change by Expose. Okay. Number three, Need You Tonight by In Excess off their Kick album. Okay. Yep. Covered that one too. Yep. And number two, Hazy Shade of Winter, of course, by the Bengals. Yeah. And then the one, the only, Tiffany with Could Have Been. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hazy Shade of Winter is a way better song than that one. Absolutely. Now, as I mentioned, this this song, this Hazy Shade of Winter thing, was based on experience that Paul Simon had, and somebody made a contrast to another song that was big at that time by the Mamas and Papas called California Dreamin', right? Yes. They're very similar kind of ideas, but almost like the, uh, the other side of the coin, right? Yes. California Dreamin' will come up again in this series when we get to season four and it's not the mamas and the papas version once again def dave i hope you're listening it's the beach boys so we talked about how hazy shade of winter was recorded quickly to get it on the less than zero soundtrack we talked about that movie it's all about drug use by young 20 somethings in california during less than zero there is a person who gets a cameo as like an extra was paid 38 dollars to be there his name brad pitt Get out of town. Brad Pitt is in Less Than Zero? Brad Pitt is just a dude at a party in Less Than Zero. Wow. Paid 38 bucks. Awesome. That is awesome. How about that? Okay. That is our last song. And before I leave, I have to tell you, it comes in at 52 minutes and 42 seconds into the episode. Yeah. It's just when Nancy is asking for privacy and then asking for Steve to look at her as she takes off her shirt. Yes. Is that a new bra? yes and poor barb is sitting alone on the diving board outside over the pool dropping blood drops into the pool and it's this very poignant moment and interestingly just a little while earlier in the episode you see a jaws poster on the wall blood in the water and then we see our very first glimpse of the gorgon just before she screams, and Jonathan doesn't pay any, att- pay any attention because he thinks it's just them horsing around again. The next episode, which we will cover on our next episode, uh-huh. is heartbreaking when we see what happens to Barb. Fantastic. So guys, be sure and hit the subscribe button, hit the follow button, make sure you hit notifications if that's an option so that you will see when our next episode drops and we cover episode three of season one, The Songs Behind Stranger Things. Guys, if you like what you hear, go to our Patreon page. We drop a Patreon episode one time a month on one-hit wonders of the 70s, 80s, 90s, anything in the MTV generation. And I think some of our best episodes are over there. Yeah. For five bucks a month, you can get these. It's great. Right. And if you're listening on the podcast app, be sure and go check out our YouTube page where you can see that we look awesome. And attractive. And there's no charge for awesomeness or attractiveness. funny thank you uh but if you want to donate we would truly appreciate that guys we will see you next week see you next week